українське незалежне радіо. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Real Estate Podcast, Real Estate Trends here on Ukrainian Independent Radio. This is the first episode of 2021. And like every other Thursday, I'm trying to bring interesting guests and we talk on different topics about real estate. And today I'm super excited. I have a very special guest. Uh, his name is uh, Daniel Kwok. He's, uh, uh, he's uh, a real estate investor. He's got a YouTube channel. If you look up on the YouTube, you, you're going to find a lot of content. You can find him on Instagram. He also wrote this book that I bought also on his website. You can go to quackbrothers.com. You buy it. It's free, you know, and there's a lot of cool stuff here. I learned, you know, I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos. I don't buy as many books anymore because it's, uh, you know, I, I kind of feel like I know a lot. But I learned a lot in here. So we're going to unpack. We're going to talk how he scales uh, his portfolio. We're going to learn some tricks um, and stuff like that. So, Daniel, thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, Alex. Good to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so let's maybe begin with, uh, let's, let's start with how you got into real estate and why did you decide to, you know, that, that the real estate is the industry for you? Yeah, so I, I immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. And the way I got into real estate is actually a really funny story. So back when I used to live in Korea, which is where I'm from, South Korea, uh, I loved the sport of basketball. Um, so this was during the 90s, you know, and I, would ha- I had an older cousin that played basketball in, from his high school. And so I'd go watch him play and I'd watch the Korean Basketball League. And uh, when, you know, when we came to America, my family... I was very sad, you know, it's a 14-hour flight from Korea to Chicago, and uh, I was so sad because I thought, you know, my friends are all gone, my family's all gone, and I'm not going to have basketball anymore. There's no basketball in the U.S., so I was so disappointed. And so I get off, and during the 90s, you know, they used to have these big box TVs, you know, they were very clunky, they were very big, you know, and they would hang on the corners uh, of the gates at the airport. So I get off and it's literally, you know, like my first couple steps in America and I look up and there's a guy playing basketball and this guy was six foot six. He was from North Carolina and he wore number 23 on the Chicago Bulls. And uh, I was like, you know what? That guy is my new favorite player because that's the first player I saw when I came to America. And I later find out it's Michael Jordan. And so I became a diehard big Bulls fan ever since then. And so fast forward when I'm 17 years old. Uh, I read the biography of the man who owns the Chicago Bulls, a guy named Jerry Reinsdorf. And I always wanted to meet him, He's, you know, and I read his biography. But I learned that he made his money in real estate. And so I was like, oh, like I got to invest in real estate if I want to one day own the Chicago Bulls. <laughs> so he, he started investing in real estate when he was 29, I think. He was in his late 20s. And, you know, I was 17, 18 years old at the time. So I said, oh, man, if I... If I can start now, I'll have a head start, you know, on Jerry Reinsdorf and I'll buy the Bulls 10 years sooner than he bought it. So that's kind of how I got interested in real estate. It's how I learned about it uh, was through was through the Chicago Bulls owner. What was your first deal? Yeah, so my first deal, I didn't do it. I didn't do my first deal until I was 23 years old. So I, I started learning about real estate when I was 19. So when I, when I first started, I actually had negative $187.65 in my bank account. Um, I had a couple of maxed out credit cards and at one point I actually found myself eating out of a dumpster. Uh, so it was, it wasn't good. Life, life was hard, you know, it was very difficult. And so, um, you know, I, 
I started learning about real estate and, you know, I wasn't a lazy kid by any means either. You know, I mean, I would study every single day. I would go to different, you know, networking events that were around the Chicagoland area about real estate and I'd study and I'd study and I'd study and I'd study, but I made no money, uh, no money at all. And so uh, I got very frustrated. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. And whenever I get frustrated, I talk to God and I said, God, why am I not making any money? You know, I'm smarter than everybody else in the room. When it comes to real estate, I worked my butt off. I studied every single day. You know, I know a lot, but why can't I make any money? And God said, pretty much long story short, that you're selfish. <laughs> you know, you're only thinking about yourself. And he, you know, he brought me to this passage in John chapter 13, where, you know, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and it's an act of humility. And, you know, God pretty much told me, he says, you have a great mind, but a lot of your people will have dirty feet. And so I started talking to people about, Hey, how can I help you? How can I serve you? Uh, what are some of the biggest obstacles you have in real estate? And by asking that question, I actually got connected with investors. Uh, I got connected with individuals who wanted to buy properties and eventually sellers. So I met a guy who was wanting to sell me his uh, portfolio of single family homes. And uh, that was my first deal. I bought four single family homes and I was still in college at the time. I was 22 years old, 22. And I did my first deal. So I bought four single family homes uh, as my first deal. You still have them? You sold them? I, I do actually. I still do yeah. have them. So nice. I've been trying to sell them for uh, quite a bit. Well, I've been selling them. I've been trying to sell them for about six months now, but because uh, I'm doing much bigger deals. So it, yeah. it just makes you know, makes more sense for me to sell the smaller ones I have and, and kind of just move on to the bigger yeah, ones. Yeah, I've watched a lot of content that you have on YouTube and uh, different podcasts that you've uh, been guests on. Uh, and I know you focus on multifamily. Yeah. You know, you're here, you're also local just for listeners that, uh, you know, you are somewhere in uh, uh, West suburbs, right? Like Aurora. I am. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Warrenville, Naperville. Area. Warren. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so like you have one of the quotes in your book that in order to achieve a million, you need to help a million people. Yeah. You know, also like you find deals, you don't focus on properties, you focus on building relationships. Those are real cool, you know, quotes yeah. that they're important. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a, you know, it's a bread and butter of, of how to, um, okay, I see now. Um, yeah, so, um, so, you know, let's talk, let's start with uh, meat and potatoes, you know, here. So, Book is zero to seventy-five properties. Catchy name, you know that's cool name. I, it's it's catch. You know you you want to you want to take you want to read it. You know how how do you do it? How do you do it in one year? In one year, you know. So uh, let's talk about something you talk about in the book. Uh, force strategy. Yeah. 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 So what is this? What is the force strategy? What is the force strategy? Yeah. So by the way, it's not a strategy where you're forcing anybody to sell to sell the <laughs> property to. Yeah. You're not using any you know means of weapons or anything like that. Uh, but you know, my brother and I, ever since we came here, the first movie we watched when we came to America was actually Star Wars. So we grew up big Star Wars geeks. You know, we we love. You know, we used to uh, get get sticks from the backyard and we used to pretend like we were Jedi Knights. And so <laughs> we we loved Star Wars acronyms growing up. And so when, when we started talking about, you know, the strategies that we used and what we did, because, you know, when we were starting out, we, we had no money, no credit. And, you know, we didn't have anybody in our network. You know, my dad was a preacher, so I didn't know anybody who was rich or, you know, who could help me out. And so we had to kind of do it on our own, really from square one. So looking back, you know, we kind of my brother and I kind of talked and we were like, well, you know, let's see, what did we do? You know, we, we found properties. All right. And, and we bought them through owner financing because we couldn't get loans from a bank. We had to have the owner finance us. Um, we raised the capital, you know, because we didn't have the money. Uh, well, let's see. We also made the building 
cash flow by making sure we managed it properly. And we also focused on scaling. We focused on expanding our empire. So we kind of, you know, toyed around like, well, that kind of spells out force. You know, it's like, you know, in the, in the movies, the Star Wars movies. So we decided to call it the force strategy. So what it is, it's, you know, you're, you're finding the property, you negotiate owner financing, you raise the cap- capital to get it done. But you make sure you also cash flow the property as well by making sure that good management structure is in place, that you're managing the buildings well, your tenants are happy, and also E, expand the empire. And I talk a lot about in the book how you know a lot of real estate investors, they focus on doing deals, but they don't focus on building a business. And that's what people really need to start shifting their mindset on is actually building a business. So that last letter E you know, is equally as important as learning how to find deals, raise capital. It's equally as important as every single one of those letters. Right, so you're doing owner financing, right? So we're gonna we're gonna talk more about the owner financing. I know a lot, a lot of our listeners, you know, they're not familiar, and a lot of sellers are also not familiar with it, right? So a lot yeah. of sellers don't even know how to do it, and probably all of them are scared of it, right? What if yeah. the, the buyer doesn't pay, stuff like that? What if he destroys the property and gives it back to me, destroys stuff like that? So we're going to dive deep into, you know, how to, how to properly structure, how to talk. And you actually pretty nicely describe how to find deals here. Uh, you've got three ways of finding deals. You, you, you talk about how to structure it, how to talk to sellers properly. So they, you know, so they take you, you know, so you're like professional. They take you seriously and stuff like that. But we're just going to, you know, quickly unwrap it for our listeners uh, so uh, your three ways of finding deals. You talk about calling for end signs, which is pretty pretty cool. I actually did that last year. I tried. Nice. Uh, yeah, I was I was just um, you know I had an investor who was in uh, in multifamily, but nothing on the market. You know, I think price is so high right now. You gotta yeah. go somewhere off market. So I started calling even for myself. I'm like, oh maybe I'll find someone, and I actually bump into one guy, but. A bunch of my calls were like, oh, no, they hung up. You know, they say, uh, don't call me. No, I'm only looking for a renter. And uh, But I got lucky with one guy. We're still in talking, but, you know, nothing happened. You got to do a lot of it. So you can't yeah. just make five, five calls and, and, you know. So what are the other things? Like call for rent signs. What do you talk? What, what do you tell them? What do you, what, what is your strategy? Yeah. So obviously, you know, in the book, the theme is, you know, uh, I, I talk about it a lot is building relationships. So I'll build relationships yep. with people like property managers. And I always tell people, you know, whatever problem you have, there's ways to reverse engineer it and, and, and have ingenuity, you know, and, and be innovative. So, you know, my big problem was that, well, like, you know, if, if I start calling uh, brokers and realtors, the prices are going to be too high. And there's no way I can compete, you know, with the guy who's been doing real estate for 20, 30 years who has millions of dollars in his pocket. So what can I do to get the deal first before any of those big guys take a look at it? So, you know, it was, it all goes back to solving people's problems. So I remember I was with the property manager, you know, he was a friend of mine at the time and, you know, I was talking to him and I asked him the question, you know, what are some of the things that I could do to help your business? Like if you had a, if I had a magic wand, you know, and I could solve any problem that, that I can for your business, what would it be? And the property manager says, man, I would love to uh, have a superpower where none of my clients ever leave my business. Like I always, if I manage 150 units, those units always stay with me. And the only direction I have is to expand and go up in unit count. And so I came up with an idea and I said, Hey, next time your client wants to sell, why don't you have them call me and and I'll buy the building and I'll still keep you as a manager. Cool. So you're guaranteed to never lose business because I'm going to buy it. 
Nice. And so the guy was, and, and so he loved that idea. So that's that's actually kind of how I bought my first two or three apartments. You get a lot of relationships with the property managers. You build. You constantly adding them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I build. I try and build relationships with everyone. So uh, I'm actually investing in a new area right now. So I don't. I don't do deals in Illinois anymore. Yeah. Um. Just because we're my business, we're looking to expand, and so we do a lot of our deals down south. But you know, one of the first things that I'll do when I start investing in a new place, and whether it's Illinois or Indiana or Kentucky, right? Uh, I'll build relationships with banks. Um, because the reason being is that it's so easy to build a relationship with a bank because you know they want your business as much as you want theirs. So I'll start building, calling up banks, and I'll say, "Hey, you know, I'm looking for a legit bank to work with. I want to build a relationship with a bank I can trust that has good programs, and I'm genuinely looking to do so." But a habit that I created for myself, and whenever I connect with these individuals, I'll always ask them at the end, "Hey." What are some good people for me to connect with? I'm looking to buy some buildings. I'm looking to build a portfolio here. You know, whether it be attorneys, property managers, landlords, you know, who are maybe wanting to sell their property. Would you know anybody around that criteria that I could potentially meet and connect with? And so banks will usually connect me with two or three people. And before you know it, I'm connected with 15, 20 individuals, you know, that are landlords, attorneys, property managers. And, you know, I'll, I'll find all sorts of ways where we can collaborate and create a win-win. That's smart. I remember you uh, on the other podcast. You told uh, the host that uh, when you called the for rent sign, you asked, Are you, "Do you want to sell? If you don't want to sell, yeah. do you want to buy? <laughs> maybe you you want to buy more. If not, you if you don't want to buy more, maybe you're gonna join my meetup group." Yeah, uh, that's that's cool. That's actually you know I I remember one time I made a call cold call you know to one of the sellers and he said I didn't want to sell and I asked him maybe you have something else you want to sell and then. Boom. Yeah, actually. You know, so, so sometimes it might happen, sometimes not. It's just yeah. one more step, right? One more That's right. One more step always. Just don't hang up until you get one more question. Maybe there's another one around the corner. Yeah, but uh, okay, so uh, so you you call for rent signs, property managers and then meetups. Meetups a little bit harder now with COVID, yeah. so it's yeah. a little bit different game Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Yeah, I, by the way, I wrote the book pre-COVID, so please pre-COVID. please don't bash me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, again, the book is free. All you gotta yeah, pay is shipping. Absolutely. Shipping, yeah. It's a easy read. You know, it 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 took me two nights to to get to get done. Good, good, yeah, good. Pretty good. Um, also, you know, um, uh, wanted to ask you like uh, when, when you get let, let's say you call somebody, somebody says, okay, well, maybe I would sell. I don't know what's it worth. You know, every seller says what's it worth. <laughs> so you never know. You can really tell them what it's what it's worth. And uh, there's a lot of you know older sellers getting to the point of yeah. selling big thing for them is if they sell they're going to have to pay taxes yeah they bought a long time ago 30 years ago for 30 grand now it's worth 600 600,000 or 700 for a six flat or eight flat um it's it's a lot of gain there's a lot of taxes waiting yep. for them and they maybe they want to pass it over to their kids so they don't want to pay taxes but they would actually like that you know idea of maybe maybe passive cash flow or maybe getting the the money but the taxes are stopping them from selling, so, so they they usually you know they, they I, I for some reason I find them they they're not concrete sellers you know they're like I don't know, so yeah. well when you get to the point when you meet the seller, um, do you tell them right away I want to owner finance how do you, no so I actually I actually create a scenario where um, you know it's actually their idea and not my idea <laughs> that's smart so so here's what you got to do you know I always tell the, I always tell people you got to win before you play. 
So think about the Super Bowl, right? If you, you know, in American football, obviously, you know, and, and obviously football in every other part of the world is soccer, right? Because you, you know, it's yeah. literally a foot and a ball. Um, but, you know, I, I, I love American football. Think about the Super Bowl. You know, by the time that the Super Bowl, even before the game even starts, the NFL has already made revenue on commercial space. They've made money on ticket sales. They made money on, you know, on branding, on halftime. I mean, they have so many ways of generating revenue even before that first kickoff. So I always tell people, win before you play. So for me, even before I talked to these sellers that I targeted, I already knew that owner financing was a great option for them because, well, I reverse engineered, right? So we got to reverse engineer again, opportunity to be innovative. So I knew that the bank wasn't going to finance me. So owner financing was my only option. So the question I asked myself after that was, well, if I'm going to do owner financing, who are the people that I can help the most by owner financing? And then that led to another question is, well, what are the biggest problems that owner financing solves? Well, it solves three problems. The first problem it solves, you already mentioned it, is taxes, you know, and not just the capital gain, but, you know, people who own their property for a long time, you know, they've got that depreciation recapture. They've, you know, they're yep. almost at that 27 and a half year or perhaps even over that 27 and a half year basis model. And so they're probably paying ordinary income tax on everything they've depreciated year over year. You know, so number one is taxes. Uh, number two, you know, is deferring any other liability, any debt that they have to pay off, right? Number three is also the lifestyle. You know, I, a lot of landlords that I met who've owned the building for, you know, 15, 20, 30 years, a lot of them, you know, they want to continue to receive that check. You know, they, they've, they've gone so long by having the money come in. So I knew that, you know, if I can find people who wanted to continue that lifestyle, who wanted money coming in every single month, you know, maybe they don't need a whole lot of money right now. Uh, and also people who want to help defer their taxes or help with their, to reduce their tax liability. I knew those two criterias. I knew I had to find a lot of individuals who were more seasoned, right? Or AKA older. I didn't want to use the O word, yeah. but I, I knew we had to find those type of people. So I reverse engineer, all right, like what, how do I find older landlords? So that's how actually how I found out, you know, calling for rent signs and newspaper ads and, you know, building relationships with property managers, you know, cause I can then target. So I knew even before negotiating with that person that I had an edge, I had an advantage because a lot of what owner financing can do for an individual, I'm already talking to the person that has those problems that need to be met by owner financing. Do so, you, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you buy only like properties that need like value add or no? Or just, it doesn't necessarily. Yeah. yeah, I know that's a big, big popular strategy right now. A yeah. lot of big real estate syndications and REITs, you know, they love buying these distressed multifamily, you know, they raise the rent, they increase the value and then they'll refinance out their investors. So for us, that's not something that we're doing necessarily right now. Um, so we're actually more focused down south. We're, we're focused on a very unique area. Um, now, obviously, this area I can't disclose for the protection of my investors, uh, but we're actually more focused on developing uh, because this area act actually is very experiencing uh, huge growth and not a lot of investors know about it. Uh, so we're, we're so more focused on um, uh, development and also we're focused more so on class B uh, properties, you know, that, that, do, that don't need too much in maintenance or repair. So a lot of investors do focus on value add, but, um, you know, it's so tough because when you do value add, there, there's a certain price point you have to come in at. And right yeah. now, you know, these prices are really high, crazy. you know, uh, they're crazy. You know, I know, I know I talked about in the book, you know, 24 unit building that got, that's worth only $750,000 that got sold for one point, you know, and that was two, three years ago. I can't imagine what the prices are like today 
with you know the Federal Reserve buying up you know the balance sheets and pri- even private securities. You know, Oleg, I would not be surprised if in 2021 the Federal Reserve starts buying real estate. Huh. You know, they've already started buying corporate bonds. They've already started buying private securities. You know, they own over 22,913 different securities. It would not shock me if they started buying real estate. So, you know, the market's being propped up right now. You know, my, my friend Dave calls it Mickey Mouse money because it's artificial, because it's fake. And absolutely, I agree with that. You, you know, you look think- at the stock market, the real estate market. It's crazy. Think they're going to drop? I do think so, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, you, the amount of people right now that I see that, you know, th- that we're seeing record highs in median sales prices. I think according to Redfin and Zillow, we've seen a 14.6% increase in the median sales price year over year compared to last year. And we thought last year was high. But at the same time, we're seeing people, you know, unemployment still high. People aren't able to pay their mortgages. You're seeing landlords left and right who want to evict their tenant, but they can't because of the moratorium. You know, the, if you look at the landscape, if you zoom in through the microscope, you know, the American people are hurting. You know, there's so many people who are hurting financially, yet we're still seeing the housing market at record highs. Well, there's a reason for that. You know, there's a reason why, you know, why is it that the delinquency rate is the highest you know, in 40 years? They, they, they haven't tracked it. They started tracking it in 1979. And so chances are it's the highest it's ever been in our country. And yet, you know, the, 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 the media. Median sales price, and here that not a lot of people mention. I, I know a lot of people bring up, well, the houses are are, are so high because of the low inventory. Well, another thing that nobody ever ever mentions is that, well, during a pandemic, no one ever wants to make a huge financial decision. You know, a lot of times people during during times of volatility, people start becoming scarce. They start spending less and they start saving more. But you know, again, we're in a unique situation because a lot of people are saying that cash is trash. So, you know. We'll we'll see what happens. There's a lot of there's a lot of balls in the air right now. Yeah, you know, uh, a couple months ago I got an idea. You know, these eviction uh, bans that you can't file an eviction, yeah. but they're gonna start coming out, and there's gonna be a lot of them. You can if there is a way to buy these lists and go after landlords that are tired of you know um, tenants that are not paying. There there there's some out there. I I try to try to dig and and start looking, but can't really find a way and can't really see the companies that's selling those lists, but that's going to be a niche. Somebody's going to start tapping into the eviction, you know, records because that's going to be yeah. those landlords that are tired. Older, older landlords, they're going to say, okay, this, this unit has been so empty for so long, I'm, I'm tired. You know, I don't want to fill it anymore. I just want to. And that's when uh, somebody with a creative financing steps in, yeah, <laughs> still provides a yeah. passive income. And uh, I remember your, your first deal when you bought from the guy who, who was facing the court. He didn't even want to go to the court. Yeah. You bought it from him. You, you know, you help him with that and, uh, you know, you got a good deal. How yeah, do you structure I think, it? I, I, yeah, I think I mentioned in the book, you know, the guy was, the guy was wearing uh, a Rolex Submariner 2, which, you know, there's a, he was not hurting for cash. It was yeah. more so his time. Yeah. How do you structure these owner finance deals? What do you do, like uh, 20% down or 10% down? What, what do you do? Just give me a little term. Yeah, here. so it, you know, it all depends on what the seller wants. You know, uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, Daniel, how do I structure deals? How do I do this? And truth be told, you know, the reality of the situation is in real estate, the answer to 99% of your questions is it depends, <laughs> you know, because I'll give you two scenarios. Because what if you got one guy who's, you know, who's 35 years old, who, you know, he wants more money down because he wants to be able to go out and do the next thing, the next business venture, you know, and he doesn't care about the monthly payment because he's already making good money. But, you know, he wants 30% down, 2% interest on a 20, 25 year amortization. 
you know, versus you got the guy who's 70 years old who, you know, he wants that higher monthly payment because he doesn't want to work anymore. You know, he wants to travel with his wife. He wants to spend the golden years, you know, doing, doing more charitable work and whatnot. You know, for that guy, you're going to give him five to 10% down. You're going to give him 4% interest, 5% interest, and you're going to give him, you know, 25, 30 year amortization. So the way you structure deals is so different for every individual. You know, one of the things that I wish that real estate investors were better at is learning how to be entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many real estate investors who don't know how to be entrepreneurs. What are entrepreneurs? You know, I talk about in the book, an entrepreneur is just a professional problem solver. You know, if you can ask good questions and you can listen to somebody and you can, you know, and I have a method for asking good questions. It's in the book. It's called the goals method. You know, uh, my good friend, Levi McPherson wrote that portion of chapter 12. Um, but, you know, I, I asked the goals method, you know, what are your goals? What are your obstacles? What actions have you taken? What have you learned? What are your lessons? And what are the solutions that you think will help you, you know, overcome those obstacles? You know, so it depends on what the person wants to do. And it's just up to you as the artist to figure out what's in your arsenal to structure the deal for them. Yeah, right. That's a, that's a big key. Listen, you know, listen and uh, yeah. Um, so you do uh, like 25, 30 year amortization. Um, do you refi them or you just keep going as, as long yeah. as the seller wants? So I know, I know that's a big thing that everyone likes to do nowadays. They love to refinance, you know, mm -hmm. they love to refinance. So I say, you know, I don't think refi refinancing is a bad thing. Um, for me personally, my investment philosophy is, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of refinancing. There's actually very few scenarios where I actually will refinance uh, a complex. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, why is that, Daniel? Why don't you refinance? Don't you want the cash? You know, don't you want that? Well, I would actually argue right now, my money in, in actually in real estate is more valuable than cash today. You know, especially right now where cash is trash. You know, the Federal Reserve just set a new target for their inflationary rate to 2.5. So, you know, for me, you know, I want to keep my money in real estate. And plus, my investment philosophy is, you know, I always do something that the version 10 years from now will thank me for. Right. So if, you know, so I'm 26 right now, I'm still a young man. I have, I have long ways to go. I have much to learn. But if I can do something that 36-year-old Daniel or 46-year-old 40, Daniel is going to thank me for, then I'm going to make that decision. You know, I'm a long-term investor. I like my career to go this way and not th that way. Yeah, delayed gratification too. That's something you also put in the book. That's, that's pretty smart. Um, you put any down payments on these owner financing when you structure them? Yeah, I, I do. So in some cases, obviously, you know, like the eight unit building you read in the book, you know, I put no money down, which, you know, I'm not going to say no to. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you're right, for sure. Can't lose. But, uh, you know, right, you can't lose, you know. Uh, but a lot of sellers, you know, in my experience, you know, they, they do want you to have some skin in the game um, just for security's sake. And, and I understand that, you know, and there's a lot of things I put in my contract to make sure the seller feels safe. And, and that's my objective. I'm not looking to take advantage of anybody. You know, if, if I can create a win for that individual, hey, that's a win for me, you know? So I'll put in stuff in my contract like that I'm subject to an inspection every two years, an, inspection, an inspector of their choosing to make sure the property stays in tip-top shape. You know, we put in some collateral in there as well uh, to make sure that they feel comfortable. Uh, but, you know, a lot of sellers, if they need a down payment, I'll typically do about 10% down. That's typically my go-to. Which uh, you can also of, borrow. Uh, a down payment. Which you can also borrow. Right, you you could yeah absolutely yeah, you could raise no the money man. for that yeah yeah there's no bank there's no middleman nobody can dictate so as long as he gets the cash he gets the cash so that's pretty much 
You can't lose, right? With owner financing, you, is there any downside? Yeah, you know, the only downside I foresee is if you negotiate an interest rate. So one one thing I'd observe with a lot of individuals who, um, you know, are not as proficient in in constructing owner finance deals, is they'll say just because it's owner financing, they'll say yes to a six percent interest rate. Yeah. No, don't don't do that. You know what I mean? You want to make sure your your note that you draft up between you and the seller is still competing with the bank. You know, I had sellers who who told me, you know, Daniel, I want a six percent interest rate, and I'll tell them, look, it doesn't make sense for me to do six percent because I'll get four and a half percent from the commercial bank down the street. Mm-hmm. So why would I do six percent? You know, when when owner financing is actually helping you more than it's helping me. You know, because with owner financing, you're saving money on taxes. You're getting a monthly payment every single month. You know, who are who are the richest people in the world? It's the banks, you know, right. and, and you get to position yourself as the bank in this situation. So for me, you know, I see it as helping you as much as you're helping me. So one of the biggest mistakes that people make and the downside of owner financing is, you know, a lot of times they'll negotiate a very high interest rate, like 6%, 7%, especially right now, when in all reality, they could have actually got better terms going to the bank. Right. Uh, okay. So you get uh, what? You put a little bit of down payment. You negotiate. If there's a way to do a zero, you do a zero because that's good. Uh, if not, then maybe 10%. Usually you don't go over 10, right? Probably around 10. Yeah, I, I've, I've done 13. Uh, yeah. I've done 15%. But, you know, again, it's just what the owner what the, what the owner has the appetite for. And so just for listeners, because probably most of us, we don't understand what, what it is. Who guarantees or how does that? done professionally is that attorneys drafting all these things and uh, making sure yeah yeah so since this this is a chicago ukrainian uh, radio yeah uh in in the state of illinois we call that a contract for deed or agreement for deed yeah so if you if you have a proficient real estate attorney who you know is is very good at drafting up uh documents you know as as beyond just a standard repsy uh, it's going to say on the top agreement for deed or agreement for purchase. So you don't get a deed. You get agreement for deed? Yeah, so it's, it's agreement for deed. So I know they recently changed the law. And, and, I, and I tell people, you know, I'm not an attorney. Yeah. I'm not a professional. You know, please consult, you know, an actual real estate attorney. Um, but I believe they changed it to where, you know, it is for deed. And, and there is an official title exchange when you do buy something on owner financing. Now, back when I used to buy a lot of buildings in 2017, the title exchange actually didn't occur. So if you looked it up on the county records for the state of Illinois, you would actually see that um, if, if you looked it up, you would actually see the previous seller uh, as the still as still the seller. You know, if you look up yeah. the, the county tax assessor's office, um, but I, I believe it changed. You know, you have to consult an attorney on that one. Another quick question: uh, If the seller if the seller has a mortgage, let's say the property is million, the mortgage is four hundred, is it possible to do it or no? You can, yeah. So there's two there's two options that you could do. So the first option is to make sure that your your payment that you make to the seller is going to match or go beyond the payment that the seller makes to the bank, mm-hmm. right? So it's just saying, hey, I won't, you know, you don't have to worry about your mortgage anymore. I'll take care of it. Uh, another option you can do is you could do what's known as a subject to mm-hmm. with the seller carry back mortgage. So the subject to is acquiring the property while the owner's name is still on the mortgage. You you control the property. You'd handle the mortgage for them, the payment itself, and then once the mortgage is paid off, then you immediately go to an owner financing note on the back end. So that's why they call it seller carry back mortgage, 
because the seller is carrying back the mortgage after the mortgage is, or the original mortgage is paid off. Does the bank has to be notified? Is there a cases when the bank says we don't allow these things or do you know? Yeah, I, I, I've seen some scenarios and people has, they have to be careful because you know, in some cases where you, you buy something on owner financing when the seller already has a mortgage in place, it yeah. can trigger what's known as a due on sale clause. Yeah. So people do have to be very careful. But again, that's why I targeted a lot of older landlords because I knew that they had their properties paid off. Yeah, usually the immigrants, you know, they, they like it all paid off. <laughs> they don't they like, like mortgages. That's right. I'm, I'm an immigrant too. You can't forget. I like, I like paid off real estate. Yeah, me, me too until I met uh, the owner of my office. You know, Stino, he was uh, with me on the podcast. There's, if you scroll down to Facebook, you'll find it somewhere. Uh, he actually taught me that, you know, mortgages are good for you. You know, you leverage the money. You, you don't need to pay it off. Uh, even when you're when you're young, you wanna you don't even wanna pay it off. You wanna buy as many mortgages as you, you get as many mortgages as you can. And now it took me a while to get it, but now I get it. You know, now I, I don't want that money. You know, I don't wanna pay it off. I don't wanna refinance and pull the money, unless maybe if I pull the money, I wanna put it back into another deal. You know, uh, I don't wanna put it in the pocket or 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 like or the other way. You know, you pay it off with with your own cash. You start paying off the properties. Yeah. And use it for another deal. Yeah, so that took me a little while, but yeah, you, you're right. So you, a lot of older um, landlords, they they have theirs paid off, so that's easy, easy to structure. There's no mortgage, because I always thought, you know, if there's a mortgage, there's the bank. You know, you have to let the bank know, because if they find out for some reason that there's someone else buying it uh, without them knowing, they can call the note due, right? Yeah. They can just yep. note is due. Got to pay it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay, uh, well, <clears throat> well, one quick uh, thing. So your plans on buying, I was, I was going to ask you the plans on buying, but you already told me that you're focusing on the, the other areas. You, you, in 2020, you didn't buy anything in Illinois, right? No, too I high. didn't. Price so is too I, high. I, yeah, I don't think I bought anything in Illinois <laughs> since 2017. So I, I don't plan on buying anything in Illinois anytime soon just because, you know, uh, and, I, and I'm not saying there's not money to be made. You know, there's plenty of money to be made everywhere, you know. Um, I mean, I've got friends who own properties in California and they're, they're doing well, you know, uh, but for, for me, you know, for my investors, you know, at the end of the day, my job is to look out for them and I want to, I'm going to find them the best deals I possibly can. And if it takes a little bit more work on my end to do it, to travel, then, you know, so be it, you know, I'll, I'll definitely put in the work. So, uh, yeah, hundred percent. I, I don't think I see myself investing in Illinois. You're probably you know, going to move in, soon. You're probably going to move to another state soon. If you start investing heavily. Maybe, maybe <laughs> not. I, I mean, I like Illinois. You yeah. know what I mean? A lot of people want to get out of here, especially people my age, you know, they want to move to Texas or the Carolinas or, you know, to, to, to Nevada or something like that. But I mean, honestly, I love Illinois. I, I think we have the best food in Chicago. <laughs> I travel a lot. You know, I've, I've gone to, you know, even just the last 12 months, I think I've gone to I think 12 different cities and, you know, major cities, you know, like Boston, Miami, you know, dude, let me tell you, Chicago has the best food. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. It's a, uh, you, you're Korean, right? So is there a lot of Korean, yeah. a lot of Korean here or no? Yeah, there are, especially if you go to like the Northern suburbs, you know, so if you go by like, you know, Northbrook and Vernon Hills and oh, those expensive you know, Glenview, ones, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of Koreans there. The, the Koreans and the Jews, they like to stick together, you know? <laughs> Uh, but but for for me, you know, I, I have Korean friends that I grew up with. But you know, not, my my mom always wanted me to have Korean friends because there's like you know, a for me, it's probably like a hundred thousand Ukrainians here. Maybe yeah, even more. Maybe yeah, even more. There's sure. probably like a million Polish. 
you know. Right, from right. Poland. There's a lot of Poland. So, you know, but that, that, that's a part of the reason I'm here because there's a lot of yeah. Ukraine. I feel like home almost like in Ukraine, but I'm still get a, America, so I get best of both worlds. So I, yeah. I can't see myself moving, you know, from, from but who knows? But again, it, it's yeah. very comfortable for me to be here because there's a lot of Ukrainians. And, yeah, you know, I, so. I love Ukrainians, man. I had, I had one of my good friends in, in, uh, growing up, actually in middle school and high school, was Ukrainian and him and uh-huh. I love martial arts so we would always train together and you know wrestle but you know I, I love I love the Ukrainian people so I'm, I'm glad to be here this well, is fun thanks thank you what's the what's the maybe a good piece of advice would you say someone who's new young you know want to have a hustle mm-hmm. and want to build a portfolio what would you tell them drive around call for sale for rent signs build a list yeah so, you know, based on what the common mistakes I see a lot of young investors making is, you know, I, I always tell them protect your downside and your upside will always take care of itself. You know, mm. uh, I feel like one of the one of the benefits of an older investor is they've seen a lot of things, they experienced a lot of things and they know what can happen and they know how human they are. You know, they, they know that things can happen out of nowhere, you know, yeah. like the pandemic and COVID and all this stuff. But I feel like when you're a younger investor, you're starting out, you're so quick to want to just calculate what is the cash flow? And you just use the cash flow to deem it whether or not it's a good deal. And a lot of people, a lot of young investors especially, they don't know how to monitor risk. They don't know how to protect the downside and, and, and play defense and not offense. You know? So for a lot of younger investors, I always encourage them, you know, continue reading the books, listen to the podcast, you know, listen to this show. You know, this is a good show. You know, go, go to events and learn and shadow as many people as you possibly can, but also learn how to play defense in your business as opposed to just offense. And, and I think if people do that, I think a, a lot of great things can happen, especially with somebody who has a lot of time on their side. What do you mean by defense? Like deleveraging maybe, not, not getting into too much debt? Maybe that you would, what you mean? What do you mean defense? Yeah, so under, understanding the risks of, of your business. You mm-hmm. know, so there's a lot of different risks that associate with real estate. You know, you have financing risk where, you know, you do over leverage a little bit too much. You know, I, I had a conversation with my commercial banker who was actually in Chicago. You know, he lives in the Chicagoland area. And I asked him, you know, what happens when, you know, the bank, the, the value of the building goes low and it's, it's equal to the value of the, of the balance of the mortgage. And the commercial mm-hmm. banker said to me, if that's the case, we actually will call them and ask for enough capital and liquidity to where it goes back down to 80% loan to value. Um, as opposed so to, to come up with you know, cash? keeping it there. Yeah. So if, if, if the, you know, let's say a, you got an apartment building that's worth a million, let's say the, the balance on the loan is 700,000. If the value of the building drops to 700,000, the bank will ask for enough cash to where the LTV, the loan to value ratio will get back down to 80%. Whereas if you go, the value of a building is 700,000, the balance of the mortgage is 700,000 you're at a hundred percent loan to value ratio. Mm. So, you know, you do the math, you know, that's about $140,000 that you got to come up with or they're going to call the no due, you know? And I asked him, well, what if they're paying on time every single month? The guy said, doesn't matter. We're going to call them. We're going to call the no due unless they can come up with the money. Tough luck. We're not taking the risk as the bank. So, you know, that's, that's, that's number one. You know, a lot of young investors, they need to know, understand that aspect of the risk and understanding how to play with equity you know, and I'm not, I'm not against refinancing. I'm not against, you know, cause there's certainly good debt. You know, there's definitely good debt yeah. that you could use to expand. Um, 
but there's financing risk, there's relational risk, you know, where, you know, people were, a lot of young investors, they'll meet a contractor and, and the contractor will seem good in the beginning and they don't know how to build a proper relationship or, you know, they don't know what good questions to ask to see if that they're a good individual to work for. A lot of young investors that I, that I meet, the mistake they make is, you know, the first contractor or the first attorney they meet, they'll work with that individual just because they seem nice or they seem smart. Uh, and, and that's something that a lot of young investors cannot do because, you know, if, if you have a deal that goes south, it can cripple them for the rest of their career. It hurts their reputation. You know, a lot of people don't want to work with them anymore. So, um, you know, there's the relational risk, there's the finance risk, and there's a lot of risk out there. And, and, and even just sitting down and taking 15 minutes and looking at the deal that you're currently working on and figuring out what could go wrong, it, you know, it will do a lot of good. It'll and save millions of dollars for that person. Yeah, and it's hard a little bit for a new investor because they don't know what can go wrong. You know, the older ones can, can calculate more because they know what can go wrong. But yeah. the new one, you're, you're so optimistic, you're so excited about this deal. You think everything's going to work out great until it exactly. doesn't. And, uh, yeah. Uh, do you know uh, Andrew Holmes maybe here in our market, Chicago? Andrew Holmes? Yeah. I, I, Andrew, he's, we know of each other. Yeah. Uh, I know he's more focused locally here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I heard, I heard good family. things. I heard bad things. But I, I've never met him personally. But I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a good dude. Yeah, I, I went to his couple of uh, RIA events, you know, Chicago RIA. He's focused only on single-family houses, maybe duplex right. here and there, only single-family. Um, I think he uh, uh, auction, you know, sources, buying through auction and uh, probates, you know, stuff like that. But only, um, you know, only through, like, uh, single-family homes, which, uh, which takes a lot of time to build your portfolio, you know. I got a little portfolio, yeah. but all single, all single units. So I want to scale, but you know, with the prices right now, I don't know. <laughs> the apartment it's tough, building, man. It's, I hear you. It's a, the best deal I've ever seen is a six-unit building for six fifty. That's that's the best I've I've seen with a good area. I mean, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's there's so much. It's so tight. It's so tight. One boiler goes off, yeah. the, the the year's cash flow goes off. So it's a it's a little tight. But um, again, everybody who enjoyed the show, please comment, put a plus. You know, give us some likes and pluses and comments. Again, uh, buy the book. Okay, I mean, get it for free. Get it for free. It's free. Uh, just pay for the shipping. A couple bucks. Um, also, go to quackbrothers.com. Uh, research that. There's got a lot of content over there. YouTube. Got a big following over there. You got 200,000 subscribers. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. So we're at 120,000. So hopefully this year we'll hit 200,000. Uh, but you know, if, if people want to get the book, it's 0 to 75units.com. Uh, and we actually also have a free class on owner financing. It's a three-hour class on owner financing I put together. Uh, if you want that, just go to freeownerfinancingcourse.com. Again, you know, we, try, we try and give as much free stuff as we possibly can because you know, I know when I started, I didn't have a whole lot of money. So um, you know, if I can help myself six, seven years ago, then I, I'd be a, I'll be a happy man. I'll go to sleep happy. Yeah, and also focus on people and solving problems rather than properties. That's yeah, the key. That's you right. deal with people, not with properties. Yep. Cool. Thanks so much, Daniel. It was a cool video. Nice show. Thank you so much. We'll stay in touch. And um, yes. thanks for tuning in. Everybody who watched, thank you so much. And uh, I'll see you guys in two weeks. And Daniel, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Oleg. Appreciate it. Thanks. Ukrainska. Nezalezhne Radio.